Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The legends are true. We're overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Well, good day, good evening, good morning, good afternoon, whatever time it is by you. Welcome to Line Drive Radio. Yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuffman, holding down the board here in the great state of New York. On this Wednesday, April 13th, 2022, the first weekend of the 2022 MLB season is in the books. And here to talk about it, as always, my LDR teammate, Mr. Tab Evan from the great city of Chicago. Hey, buddy, what's going down in Chi-Town? Man, it was such a beautiful opening day for the White Sox yesterday. Good Lord provided beautiful weather. It was like 60 degrees. The sun was out. little breeze. Best inning game with Liam Hendricks making it interesting at the end. Um, but, you, you know, as everybody starts to open their various ballparks. Not everybody got to open on opening day, obviously. Cubs are in Pittsburgh for their first home series of the year. Congrats to Cabrian Hayes for putting pen to paper on his eight-year extension before they uh, opened the home facility for the first time. But, uh, you know, the, one of the beautiful things about baseball is you get the opening day on the opening day. But then you've got that trickle down of everybody else getting their ballpark dusted off and getting the fresh queso out for the nachos and everything else uh, as you get about a week, week and a half in. So always fun seeing the bunting come out, not at the plate, but hanging from the uh, overhang and uh, the sidewalls uh, as people open up their different ballparks. So hopefully, uh, hopefully weather continues to cooperate as we've already got a few scheduled double headers out there and it uh, looks like the cardinals royals were banged today uh because of weather down there so need uh need, need the weather to behave paul so that we can all get as many games in as we can without killing pitching staffs because the injuries are starting to pile up in a number of places yeah just a little bit yeah well look man uh, the uh cliss guys here in uh in the bronx baby uh and uh, I'm with you, man. And it's funny, too, because we talked last week on the show about uh, opening day and, and the Yanks obviously getting rained out there in terms of, you know, um, you know the seats weren't all sold out yet. But I tell you what, man, it came out big over the weekend, and it looks like, uh, except maybe down in Tampa Bay. Um, I mean, yeah, there's even fannies in the seats in Pittsburgh, brother. But uh, the fans came out big time this weekend pretty much across the league. Um, it's just great to see people back in the park. Uh, so many storylines, obviously, out of the gate here over the weekend. But... I got to tell you, Tab, just having MLB Network back on the, on the on the TV there during the day, lunchtime, and, and just seeing all the highlights and and the and, and the early storylines so far out of the gate. Some of the guys that we even talked about last week, as far as key players on every team, already starting out with a bang. 
Um, you know, Javier Baez in Detroit just having a great start there. Pool, I mean, there's, you know, you could just go on and on and on about all the great storylines, but above everything, Tab, it's just great to have the game back and see everybody hitting the ball and throwing the ball over the plate again. Yeah, absolutely. And now, you know, for those that have kids or, you know, are the, uh, are the Little League inclined, you're starting to get those seasons starting. Uh, I went to pick your team night for my five-year-old who's starting T-ball, um, which uh, I'm not even sure what the team is, but it's got like a red and black, like bat devil looking thing uh, <laughs> on the hats. He wanted red. So that's what you go when he's five. You just kind of go with what you want. The, uh, I think that one of them was the grasshoppers, and that didn't do much for him. Uh, it wasn't feeling like being the fighting fighting Jiminy Crickets. Um, but uh, and you know, already this weekend, you know, in between Good Friday and Easter, we got a double dip on Saturday morning if the weather behaves. So, um, always fun getting out to the ballpark. It's always more fun for me, uh, and I think lots of parents to dust off the glove and throw around with the kids and get them on the field because I think that's where the joy of the game is born uh, and you watch it because you love playing it and you love playing it because you love watching it. Absolutely, and I got some great news to report too. After hesitation, um, my daughter has decided to join the junior high softball team. So that was nice this weekend, going out and picking out a helmet for her and uh, all the gear that she needs and everything. So um, it was funny. She was all her friends are playing, and she she didn't know she's a big soccer kid, obviously, and been into that, playing that since she was like four or five years old and stuff. But uh, so anyway, I said you got to play softball. My little guy, um, you know, he's trying little league out for the first time. He's nine, obviously, and uh, she said, I don't know, Dad. I, I just don't understand understand the game. Long story short, she starts going because all her friends are on the team. She starts going all the practices, and I'm picking her up at the practices. So I'm going, so you're telling me you're going to these practices where your friends are, but you're not going to play? I said, come on, kid. Get in there. You might as well, right? So sure enough, the, the coach invited her, and she's on the squad. She'll be in her first game next week. And uh, it was funny. She came back from practice last night with the uh, with the black paint under the eyes and everything. So I'm, really, yeah, I'm really excited for her. And uh, you know, speaking about women in baseball, a great story there this weekend, too, uh, in, in San Francisco last night. Outside. Of the gorgeous lids and unis the Giants were wearing yesterday, Tab. That's a great the story. There. Let's start with that. Yeah, listen, knocking uh, on the bench with Gabe Kapler's staff. Um, game gets a little excited. Uh, first base coach decides to use a number of phrases that apparently those <laughs> in blue did not appreciate. Um, there may have been some personal. Uh, comments made first base coach gets run and Kapler looks down at his bench and sends a list out to first base. And she became uh, last night on the April 12th of 2022, the first woman to coach on the field during a major league baseball game, incredible. Uh, which was awesome. You know, we've got minor league manager um, who, you know, I think lots of conversation there because she's got, Dominguez, I believe, to start the season down there with the Tarpons in Tampa for the Yankees. Um, she got a first win, too, but, the other day. Yeah, and that was a great scene, too. But uh, I think when you talk about you know, your daughter wanting to play, her friends and the coach extended an invitation, mm-hmm. and it became more interesting than, eh, 
And the more that you see it, the more that you are exposed to the game, whether it's baseball or softball. Um, and the more that you can see a legitimate career path, you can see representation on the field. And we've talked about this a lot. The more it becomes real, the more you want to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it, it makes me think, you know, about, you know, you're talking about your daughter jumping in to play softball. And, uh, and we're talking about seeing is believing. And I've seen that really firsthand with my 11 year old. Uh, he plays on a travel team. We've talked about it a lot in the last year or so he plays for an organization named top tier. Uh, and one of the guys that worked out at the facility that they've been working out at, which is the home base for top tier nationally outside of Chicago, uh, who pitched at De La Salle high school in Chicago, uh, is a young man by the name of Ben Hernandez, who was drafted, I believe, 41st overall in the second round of the 2020 draft by the Kansas City Royals. And he saw this young guy who was a high school pitcher, like his best friend's older brother, who had college options. You know, he did the, he did the Under Armour All-America game thing. And then he gets drafted and he disappears for a week to go sign some paper, even though it's during the pandemic. And the next time you see Ben at the gym, he's wearing head-to-toe royal stuff, and he's got a nice new car. Wow. And I, I saw in my son's eyes a bit of a realization that this guy is doing what I want to do. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that my kid's going to be a major leaguer, but seeing how he saw Ben Hernandez as a possible reality was awesome to see as a parent. And I just actually sent an email last night to a college buddy of mine, the president of the Columbia Fireflies, uh, which is a Class A-level organization working with the Royals, and wished him good luck because the Columbia Fireflies will have Ben Hernandez on their pitching staff this year. Uh, so Brad Shank, uh, take good care of him because you got a bunch of young guys in Chicago that are paying attention to how Ben Hernandez's career progresses. And he's got the guy's baseball cards now, and it's crazy. That's awesome. So. But but that that's um, seeing how he kind of had this m- moment of understanding the potential of something manifesting. If you work hard, it's possible. Um, you know, was 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 a reminder that you need to see it to believe it. And so when you see Alyssa Knock and get out there and coach first base last night, you know, my hope is that young girls see a path to professional careers and having having a love of the game beyond buying tickets uh, or talking about it, but seeing a way, whether it's in the front office, like they have in Miami or coaching at the minors or now, you know, coaching first base at the major league level. If you see it, you can buy it. You can believe it um, because it's possible. So that was an awesome moment last night. And uh, I think that you will see, see her going places um, because a lot of people think very highly of her uh, and first base might uh, for a night might just be an eye opener to more responsibility and additional opportunity for her and others. So it's awesome. Yeah. And I, and is this true tab? Cause they, I think they said it this morning uh, uh, on MLB network that, that her hat or her helmet actually is, is on its way to Cooperstown. Yeah. Which is going to be awesome. Um, you know, the Hall of Fame uh, does an incredible job of being on top of everything. 
uh, and seeing moments that are historic. Obviously, you know, we're going to talk about a couple players that are off to historic starts today. Um, but when you see something that isn't necessarily a player impact moment, uh, making sure that you uh, reach out and see what's going on there. I mean, we're less than a full week into the regular season, and Alyssa now has part of her paraphernalia, I guess, uh, going to Cooperstown to live in history, uh, which is pretty amazing. Uh, but, you know, I'll be out in Cooperstown when my kid plays a tournament there this summer, and hopefully I'm able to see it on display, uh, whether it be in the Giants locker or in a Giants display or somewhere else in, in those incredible galleries. Um, but, yeah, so, listen, I can will be represented in the Baseball Hall of Fame already and uh, just for something that happened before the first week was done. So very, very cool. Yeah, no, it's all great stuff. So uh, it's and again, all part of this uh, first weekend of MLB kicking off. Um, so let's jump into it here, tab here on Line Drive Radio and a couple other big headlines that are going on after this first weekend. And I, I don't know, I don't know where we start here, but I know there's a couple of things you want to talk about, and that's obviously uh, your injured White Sox. You want to talk about them. And uh, the hottest thing in Detroit these days, baby, Javier Baez, baby. I talked about it last week. I love it. And the other guy is in Chicago, and we'll talk about him a little later, too. But where do you want to go here? You want to start with uh, the injuries here in Chicago or just uh, injuries in general? Yeah, no, no, we'll knock out Omago here for a second because, uh, you know, we've talked about Omago a, a fair amount with his departure from Chicago and, uh, you know how tough it was for Cubs fans to see that World Series core break up last year. He goes to New York, and you have the whole thumbs down controversy with him and Lindor and a couple other guys, Kevin Pillar, and then the dude tears it up down the stretch, but it doesn't work out for the Mets. And then he goes and gets paid in Detroit, and they've got him coming in as kind of the guy that they want to help young players like Spencer Torkelson. Eventually, Riley Green, uh, Jammer Candelario, who was actually in the Cubs organization a few years back, they want him to be the guy that shows them how to do it. And to El Mago's credit, uh, he led all of Major League Baseball with 184 whiffs last year, uh, had 131 in 91 games with the Cubs before the move to New York. Um, he has struck out just four times through five games to start the season. He's got a 350 on base percentage, a 316 batting average, and he's got two game-winning hits already. Uh, you had uh, the Tigers' first win, a bit of a an awkward moment where he hit a deep drive that looked like it was going to come up a few inches short of a walk-off home run, but A.J. Pollock bobbled. It hit the wall, uh, and even though he caught it and it was initially ruled out, he had a replay, and they called it uh, a single and a walk-off for El Mago there, and then he had a two-run jack in their next win uh, that they won 3-1. to one. So a really good start for Javi, three, uh, three hits in his first 20 plate appearance, or six hits in his first 20 plate appearances, two of them for extra bases. So El Mago's doing his thing, and he's throwing the leather. If, if you're one of those web gem lovers like me, you've seen plenty of uh, Javi on, on the broadcast and the highlight reel. So Javi's doing his thing, so that's exciting. Um, and the Detroit Tigers are going to need that, and that's why they paid him, because they want to chase the prohibitive favorite in the American League Central, the Chicago White Sox, 
for that division title. When we gave our predictions last week for the year, we both took the White Sox to win the division. And I think, Paul, we agreed that in that division with the Tigers kind of up and coming, the Royals up and coming, some question marks in Cleveland with how they were going to surround Jose Ramirez in the lineup. Uh, You know, what does this division ultimately look like behind the White Sox? So injuries were going to be the only thing that keeps the White Sox from really running away and hiding with this thing like they did last year. Well, even though they're one of three teams left in the American League with only one loss, those injuries have uh, popped their ugly heads into the conversation for the White Sox. Yon Mankata started the year on the 10-day injured list, so they need help at third base. Joe Kelly, one of their big bullpen acquisitions, uh, went on the 10-day uh, with some bicep issues. Ryan Burr, one of their other bullpen guys on the 10-day. Uh, Garrett Crochet, flame-throwing lefty with a big leg kick. Uh, little Juan Marichal action going on there. Throws 102. He's having Tommy John. Uh, obviously, we talked about them trading Craig, Craig Kimbrell last week, so you've got Burr, Kelly uh, out of the bullpen already. Crochet, not even an option this year. That's tough on your depth. So you're going to lean on your starting pitching, right? Lance Lynn tweaks in the in spring training. He's on the injured list. Lucas Giolito's first start. He's got a little bit of a, an abdominal strain. If I had abdominal strength, uh, that would be an issue. I uh, traded in my six pack for a pony keg, Paul. But uh, <laughs> so you got Giolito and Lance Lynn, starter 1A, 1B for the White Sox, both on the injured list to start the season. And then AJ Pollock who is going to go on the becoming a daddy list anyway, uh, tweaked the hammy in what probably would have been his last game before going on paternity. So you got A.J. Pollock, your big acquisition to help in right field on the 10-day, your top two starters and three big pieces in your bullpen already on the injured list. And Yon Mancata, who's a big middle third of the lineup, maybe number two hitter uh, in a big piece of their infield at third base. Um, and it looks like Mancata's going to miss three or four weeks. So you're talking about a big, long list of injuries starting to pile up for the White Sox. Good news is uh, they haven't hurt for scoring runs. Uh, They've scored 22 in four games. They've only allowed 10. So the pitching is holding up its end of the bargain, even with the injuries. Um, And Vince Velasquez, uh, Philly's legend Vince Velasquez, um, (laughs) if you can put it together with Vince Velasquez and – other guys fill in the gaps until you get Giolito healthy, until you get Lynn healthy. That's awesome. But you're kind of already getting to a point where you need these guys to be healthy because a lot of arms aren't built up yet. So if you're already stressing your bullpen um, early in the season and kind of playing mix and match with your rotation, that's not easy on uh, Tony La Russa, uh, the ancient warrior, uh, and uh, the coaching staff of the White Sox. So, um, interesting times in the central, you know, Torkelson got off the Schneid with his first hit, a double Bobby Witt Jr.'s first hit, uh, was a run producing extra baser. So some of the young guys we talked about last week that are really exciting coming into the game are starting to do some damage. So the White Sox are going to have their hands full and the injuries are piling up already. Yeah. And this is, uh, tonight, second game against Seattle this is two of 13 in a row for the White Sox. You know, just looking at the, you know the, the schedule here. It's you know obviously been a while since last season, so we start looking at the schedule again and seeing how the games are, uh, you know, pretty much stacked. You know, these guys are playing twelve, thirteen, seven, eight in a row with a day off here, um, and then when the injuries kind of come in like this, um, 
especially the pitching staff, it, it, it plays a big, uh, has a big impact on managing. And then, you know, you look at the Central here and, and, you know, out of the gate, it's early and everything else. And everybody getting the shortened preseason, obviously spring training, colder weather in certain cities right now and how things kind of watch out. I mean, these are these are all these things that you have to kind of watch for here as far as, you know, this, this first, you know, five, six, seven, ten, twelve games uh, for these teams and how coaches manage. And then, you know, we joke about the Central here and there and talking about, you know, Cleveland and Casey and Minnesota. I mean, they've all got two and three wins here, you know, to match Cleveland and Chicago at the top there. And if that'll be interesting, too, if things kind of get spread out here in the American League, where you, you, you know, especially in the beginning of the season here, if some of these teams can somewhat stay close here, you know, it's specifically talking about Chicago, because we've talked about how they should probably run away with this division again. You'd have to think, Tab, that these teams now have to look at a wounded Chicago and go out and try and get his chink out as much of that armor off as they possibly can here. Uh, and, and making the first month or two months of a new baseball season incredibly important to these guys to take advantage of these stacked teams that are having injury problems. Yeah, and again, we've talked about this, the old cliches, you can't win a division in the first month, but you can lose it, Texas Rangers. Um, <laughs> but uh, but you're right. I mean, it looks like the whole division is going to hang around, and you know, we laughed about, oh, well, who's going to surround Jose Ramirez in the offense for Cleveland? And here they are with 38 runs in five games. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, crazy. so go, go, go figure. Um, so, yeah, I think... You know, it's it's something to keep an eye on. Minnesota's starting to get hit with some injuries of their own. Um, so I think everybody's starting to see some pitchers that are you, – you want to push and start extending guys, but the hard thing with the truncated spring training is you don't want to push guys and lose games. You don't care if you're in Arizona or Florida. And you, you tell the guy I need to see 70 pitches, and you could care less if it takes him one inning or six innings to get there. But now it, it matters. Now it's happening, and uh, and you can't you know just have a guy run out there and throw seventy pitches in two innings and then have to figure it out after that. So um, you know lots lots to keep an eye on. I think that division is still the White Sox to lose, but I do think from what I've seen so far, Cleveland, Detroit, Minnesota, and Kansas City are going to hang around a lot longer than people thought, um, which is going to be fun for the conversation because it looks like. If the bottom of the central is competitive, that's better than the other two divisions where Baltimore and Texas are already staring up at three-game gaps uh, that will probably continue to grow by the week. Absolutely. And I got to tell you, Tav, I, you know, I'll be the first one to admit it. I know they're called the Guardians. But I got to tell you, man, they look sharp this weekend. I, I'm kind of getting – I'm liking the C on the hats and the jerseys and the colors. And, and uh, man, Bieber looked – Damn good this weekend too, man. Yeah, Biebs is. I mean, he's going to be there if he stays healthy. He's one of those guys. It's like with Bieber and Jacob Degrom, you figure that they're going to be in the conversation for the Cy Young if they stay healthy. Uh, and I think, unfortunately for the Mets, Degrom's starting the year on the shelf, but they haven't hurt for not having him. Uh, they're right there in first place again. Obviously, you got to be there in September and October on the last day of the season, not be there for. Three and a half months. Yes, and Mets fans like still Mets don't get that. Year. Yeah, Mets fans still don't get that. They get all excited around this time of the year, and and then hope springs eternal. Paul. <laughs> all right, woo! So now that we're kicking back into regular season mode here on LDR, it's time to bring back a couple of our 
favorite segments that we uh, we started up here on our inaugural season on Line Drive Radio last year. And that's the good and the bad. Where we jump around, try and look at what happened the last few days since we last taped, and take a look at what's good and what's not so good in MLB. So let's start with the good. Ted, take it away. Where are we going to start? Which, which diamond are we going to kick things off here on Line Drive Radio for the good? You know what? We were we, we, we spent a little time in the American League Central, so let's stay there. And I think the guy that everybody wants to talk about right out of the gate is Stephen Kwan, who, when you talk about who's going to surround Jose Ramirez, this is a guy who I don't know a lot of people thought he would be that guy. Um, but much like Nick Madrigal of the Cubs, uh, an Oregon State product who appears to be allergic to the swing and miss um, through Tuesday, uh, Stephen Kwan uh, is basically rewriting record books to start the s- season. He has a 750 on, not OPS, on base percentage. 750. He's been on base safely in 18 of his first 24 plate appearances, which is stupid. Uh, according to Elias, um, that is the most times on base through a player's first five games since they started caring about this kind of stuff in 1901. So we went a full century and we're almost a quarter into another one uh, with nobody doing this, uh, which is what we love about baseball. You see stuff every day that you've never seen before. Uh, If you include uh, the Cactus League last year, uh, Mr. Kwan has not struck out since September 26th of last year, 76 Played appearances without a strikeout. Wow. And I think the most impressive part of all of this is Stephen Kwan has yet to swing and miss as of the time of this taping uh, on Wednesday. So through Tuesday's games, he has not missed a ball through five games at the major league level. It's insane. It's hard to comprehend somebody not having any swings and misses to start. I think if Juan Soto did it, we'd be like, eh, okay. Last year we talked about Wander Franco uh, having his name mentioned in the same conversations as Mickey Mantle as far as getting on base as a rookie and at his age. Uh, but to not swing and miss through five games to start your major league career and to go 76 plate appearances between strikeouts and counting, that's un- unbelievable. Literally, it's hard to fathom a 750 on base percentage and reaching base 18 times in five games to start your big league career. So, Stephen Kwan, you get the good uh, to start this week. Uh, but we've got one more, Paul. Ooh, I and, can't wait for this one. Uh, it's my guy. He your pick, he's your pick to click in the National League this year. Your ROY uh, preseason prediction for the National League. Yeah, and uh, he's looking pretty good so far. I know it's early, but uh, that's a pretty nice See start. See you later. <laughs> as we say in Chicago, see you later. See you, oh, Suzuki. Man. And it was so uh, funny, Tim, because I brought that up last week. I said, you know, that the TV broadcasters are going to have some fun with this. Or it, it just gets you into a situation. You almost heard on the highlights this weekend, especially last night. You cannot not say, see ya. <laughs> say ya. <laughs> oh, yeah. Me. <laughs> I mean, it, it, the cliches write themselves, but it's fun. Um, but, you know, look, they, there were questions about always, how is this guy going to adjust from – coming over from playing in Japan to playing in the major leagues. Obviously, the quality of play over there is very good. Uh, it's not 
you know, high school ball. Uh, we should all be beyond that presumption at this point when we've seen the success of so many others come over. Uh, and Shohei Otani, I think, what he's been able to do has opened a lot of eyes. But there's also the, the caution that not every player that comes in is going to be Shohei Otani. Like we say, not every 20-year-old is going to come in and look like Wander Franco. Not every number one overall draft pick is going to immediately succeed. It takes time to adjust. Well, Suzuki has adjusted pretty freaking well. Yes. Uh, hit two homers Tuesday to ruin opening day for the Bucks in Pittsburgh. Uh, yeah, we'll caveat it that it was Pittsburgh, but he's the only major league player with eight, at least eight runs batted in and four-plus walks in his first four career major league games since they started tracking RBI in 1920. Another. So again, we're another full hundred years into tracking a stat, and we've got a first. Uh, he uh, Speaking of Otani, not everybody can be Otani well. Suzuki and Otani are the only Japanese-born players to hit three homers in their first four major league games as a batter. So I'm not... Massive pause button here, Paul. Uh, I'm not saying that he's Shohei Otani. Um, but watching him play for the Cubs, uh, there's a smile, there's an excitement to the game there, and he's doing it right out of the gate. He's doing it right away. And for a rebuilding team like the Cubs, that he was really their big splash in free agency this offseason, you know, the Cubs have been interesting. They they really worked over Milwaukee's pitching staff in the first three games of the season. Uh, you know, you've got arguably the best one, two, three, three starters as we talked about last week in the national league and the Cubs beat them up pretty good. Their patience at the plate is a complete shift from what they were last year. David Ross was talking about seeing more pitches, being more patient and they've executed that. And you've started to see it pay off on the diamond and, and Suzuki has been a really fun, bright spot for the Cubs. So uh, again, we've got two guys that have done something that we haven't seen in at least a hundred years in both regards. And that's why we love baseball. Because even though it's been going on forever and you assume everything has been done, it hasn't until now. Yeah, no, it's it, it's amazing. I love that out, out of the gate. I, I wish, you know, too bad they don't have, like, a camera on the guy who's actually, who found that stat. You know, when you go back to yeah. 1901 with Stephen Kwan, right? And 1920 here with, uh, um, you know, Suzuki here and, and Otani. And, hey, hey, whoa, I got something here. Look, these guys, this hasn't happened since then. I mean, that's just got to be a rip in terms of uh, pointing that out. Uh, a couple of things here, too. I just got, I can't say this enough. I know I brought this up last year, and I, I love good things. And, um, you know, me and Tab are big hockey guys, too, as far as the NHL network, and we're big football guys, too, and the NFL network, um, the NFL network. Um, but the guys on MLB, especially if, if you, if you want to learn the game, um, it's just one thing I want to point out here, and that's uh, Mark DeRosa uh, today did a breakdown of uh, he not only uh, he did say Suzuki's um, you know his just his discipline at the plate, uh, and then he ran through a thing with pull holes today too. Um, it's a fantastic uh, inside look at how these guys uh, approach pitches, the plate, the game, and you know a young guy like this who comes in here for Chicago, and you got you got to figure a guy like David Ross, you know, manager. If this guy becomes your everyday center fielder and he produces like he has here in the in in Game Five here, uh, based on some of the other things you talked about in terms of all the changes here with Chicago, um, it's just it's a great 
uh, exciting thing for the Cubs here looking forward and to push away from all those key guys to, from the championships that have uh, been a part of this team and this organization. And that's always great and exciting about baseball, too, when you do get, except maybe in Pittsburgh, but when you when you start <laughs> over here and you have new guys coming in, um, it's a, and, and I want to tip the hat to the Pittsburgh Pirates fans. They did come out this week. It was nice to see them in the stands. Um, but this is great for Chicago. But a couple things there. Um, you got to watch Mark DeRossi. He breaks it down, and, and, and the whole team there was just great stuff. And I just love that as far as the art of baseball. And the other reason I'm bringing this up there, tab two, is to throw this back to you as well, covering the game for years. This early into the season, five games or whatever, shortened spring training. And, and we can get into this with pitching, how guys are, you know, uh, fielding the ball, guys turning double plays. I mean, Bo Bichette the other night and the guys in – Toronto, some of the stuff that they pulled in the Yankee game was just phenomenal. Seeing these guys out of the gate being productive or getting in there and settling in early, um, I'd have to imagine, number one, for the managers to see this, it helps them out in terms of managing their lineups. But for you, Tab Tube, and covering the game, it's got to be fascinating, too, to just see the training and the quality of these players – and I want to swing back real quick what you're talking about, too, in terms of the, the kid who just got signed with Kansas City and reflect that back to my son here, who um, his couple of games, he hasn't started his little league season yet. But the fact that baseball's back, and this gets back into the educational part of it that I love in terms of Mark and what he did with and everything else and seeing these guys, is my little guy now has been watching the games here the last couple of days, and he's getting pumped. He can't wait. He's, he's learning the game. He gets to watch it. He gets to see these guys play um, so the reality, and I'm tying this all up into one here, little circle here with the beauty of the game and how important it is for these guys, how they train and the art of the art of hitting and pitching. Like I say, there's another subject here, but I want to just maybe throw this, all that back to you. What I just said, Tab, and, and what you've maybe stood out here. If it's a guy like Quan, if it's a guy like Suzuki, obviously bringing up in the good here. Um, but uh, do you still marvel? at how these guys can still perform at a high level so early in the season? Yeah, and, you know, it doesn't click for everybody right away. And, you know, when I watch games, I look at a lot of different stuff because the hard thing when you come out of a truncated spring training this year is you've got a bench and you wanted to get all of your regulars, your starters up to speed, but you don't want the bench to go months without swinging a bat. So how do you balance getting enough work with staying competitive, especially when you've got guys maybe working in a different position or guys playing out of position? Um, you know, White Sox game yesterday, they had Josh Harrison, who's generally a second baseman, but he can play a number of different spots. He started at third base because they needed it. And the pitching matchup lined up that, they needed him to, to be over a third, and he, he has said that he's done it, I think, a couple times. It's kind of weird hearing Josh Harrison, third baseman, because he has rarely done that. So how, how does it work, and how does working in at a different position affect the offense, and how does the offense affect the defense? Um, when you look at Pujols hitting his first home run in whatever it's been, a decade in St. Louis, a guy like him – jumping back into a lineup as either a DH or a first baseman, he's played the game long enough that you, I think, assume that it's going to work. But you have to appreciate the amount of work that a guy like Pujols puts in so that fans can assume that he's going to be able to get it done. But you're right. I mean, when you look at 
how these guys are, are popping off right to start the season and, and how they work through the slumps. You know, Shohei didn't get off to a great start at the plate. I think we've all seen the video of him giving his bad CPR on the bench. Yeah, that's great. On Tuesday night, that was awesome. You know, you, you talked about the defense that Bichette's been able to do. He and Vladdy are getting it handed to him by your Yankees pitching staff in this series. Mm-hmm. Like they're one for 16 combined to start the first two games. So, you know, not everybody's going to come out red hot, but you assume that the pendulum's going to swing back. Um, you watch some of these young guys like Witt and Torkelson and Julio Rodriguez with the Mariners. How do they balance playing time with the learning curve, especially when I think, especially in Detroit and Seattle, the expectations this year elevated. You obviously know that this guy can play the game at an incredibly high level. That's why he's on your opening day roster. But when the struggles happen, when they're fighting it, in that first series against the White Sox, you know, there were a couple times that Torkelson busted a bat after striking out and shared a few colorful words that we won't repeat on a family show. Um, but, you, you know, there's a learning curve there, too. And that's what's fun about the first month of, of the game is you're not at the grind yet. You're not at the monotony of waking up and going to the ballpark. You're going – a lot of these young guys are going to ballparks for the first time. Yeah. You know, in the case of, of Kwan and Suzuki – they haven't played in any of these ballparks really before. Mm-hmm. So getting to know the dimensions, you know, getting to know the right field well. For Suzuki in right field in Pittsburgh with the Clemente wall, that's a different animal than, you know, playing right field at Wrigley or right field in St. Louis or in a dome when it's closed up in Milwaukee. So there are nuances to all of this, and that's what's so fun is seeing how these guys learn, how they adjust, and seeing how the slumps affect people and how managers and, and coaches work these guys through some of the rough patches because they're, everybody's going to struggle at some point. How quickly can you get out of it and how quickly can you move forward? Um, because there are, there are some uh, downfalls to struggling. Uh, if you struggle for uh, a long period of time, especially if you are playing for, for a new contract. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which we will get into uh, pretty much coming up right next uh, in the next segment here. Um, just to wrap up the good here, too, um, there was, um, I, I think it was Verduga that was uh, with uh, the Red Sox the other day, the, uh, and, and this kind of want to throw this in with uh, any thoughts real quick on the technology used this weekend. Uh, a lot of talk about, you know, the catchers and the pitchers using the uh, the new wristband there, too. And then I thought ESPN did a great job Sunday night uh, with the uh, the hot mic. I believe it was Verdugo in, in center field there. Uh, and that was great, having to talk to him. And it, at that time, the Yankees were doing a bit of a rally there. Um, so real quick on that, I don't know if you, if you caught that in terms of the hot mic on the uh, uh, the player's mic there on, on the field. And then anything else that you saw as far as good things with uh, regards to technology and replays this weekend? Yeah, no, it, it's interesting because there are some pitchers that are doing it, some teams that are doing it, some that aren't. Um, you know, it appeared on opening day that uh, Corbin Burns was fighting it a little bit, trying to, you know, holding his glove up to his ear so he could, you know, focus on that with a loud house. You know, it, there's going to be learning curves with the technology, but I think each team is taking a different approach. So I think it's good that it's not necessarily a mandatory thing. But some teams, if you've got Yadier back there or you've got Wilson Contreras, back there maybe you just want to stick with it old school and if you've got a totally new battery and guys that are cool with a little technology they're so we'll see how that uh plays out as the season goes with 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 the hot mic on the field 
I struggle because I, there are two parts of me that are fighting it there. The, the first part of me as a fan says the more we can get access to it, the more we can hear it, the more we can see it. The, I think the, the, it's another element of connecting fans with the game at another level. So I love that part of it. But I struggle with having a player be mindful of, I've got a microphone hanging off of my third button, so if I dive, am I going to land on the battery pack in my pocket? Uh, you know, Am I going to land on a mic and hurt myself? Am I going to say something wrong? Um, you know, guys, you know, obviously knowing who's mic'd up are going to chirp the guy when he's talking and stuff like that. But um, the, the, the rock in the hard place with that is you want the game to be pure. You want the game to be played without any type of interference. But you also love having the access to that and being able to engage with the game at that level and that level of intimacy to hear the communication between outfielders, to hear kind of his running inner monologue kind of a thing. So I, I, I kind of I'm split 50-50 on those two camps. I love being able to hear it, um, but I, I don't want it to take away from the athlete's performance or have him thinking about something that he doesn't necessarily need to. So... It's a it, it's an interesting double edged sword. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you on uh, definitely on the you know the distraction part of it too for the player. I mean, I give him a lot of credit, um, you know, because that could be a part of it, especially you know, especially same focus on the game. You got a guy talking in your ear there while uh, you know while the uh, while the game's going on. But I tell you what, man, you know, unless you are following, you know, you you're pretty much following your own team for post game and pre game, um, you know, press conferences. And, you know, your your hometown network is obviously going to bring you inside the locker room and you're going to meet the personalities and get to talk. What I really loved about it last night on this thing was it was getting to know that kid a little bit. Um, yep. and, and he was, you know, down to earth, good sense of humor, uh, the, you know, little things about, you know, how we got into the game, uh, everything else. So those little things to me I thought was great. Bring a little human side to the Red Sox for me as a Yankees fan. Okay, Have, and you know, I understand <laughs> if there was a gag reflex uh, that they're humanizing the, the Red Sox for you Yankee fans. Um, but no, you're right. It, the more that we can get engaged with some of these players' personalities, now it's a double-edged sword. You know, social media has allowed us to get to know players on different levels. You got like Ian Happ of the Cubs has a podcast. He's pretty cool. He's out there. Trevor Bauer, eh. yeah. Um, so, but I I love the more that we can have that intimate relationship with the game. Uh, and, you know, I would encourage kids to watch an entire game or multiple innings. And not, just, earlier, Tab. and not not just the highlights because, you know, I sat down and watched the Sox entire home opener with my middle son. And we were talking about pitch sequencing, both for pitchers and how batters were we're viewing things because his brash kid for Seattle was throwing just liquid feces. It, it was <laughs> 99 with movement on the fastball and then a slider that just buckling knees the first time through the lineup. We're talking about, you know, watching guy the difference between a young guy like a Luis Robert or uh, Eloy Jimenez and how Jose Abreu was approaching it, how Yasmani Grandal was approaching it. Um, so being able to see the sequencing, you start to get into more of the science and the art 
of baseball and not just watching the three home runs and the RBI double and thinking that you've got the game covered. So watch the whole game because I think you'll appreciate more of it. And you're starting to see more contact hitters like a Stephen Kwan in the game than just the true outcome scenarios, and that is good for the game. The more we have guys that are hitting singles and doubles, the more movement on the bases, the more pitchers have to pay attention, the better it is because, as I've talked about at length, the sexy part of baseball is the art of the game. The base running, the stealing, the pickoffs, the throwdowns, the movement, how the infielders are, are moving around based on how the pitcher is going to throw to the guy, that kind of stuff is really where you start to fall in love with the next level of the game. So watch entire innings, watch entire games, pay attention to the pitch sequencing, and watch how guys adjust to that. Because when you see a guy like Stephen Kwan not miss to start his career, you appreciate it more if you watch how he approaches every at bat and how the guy's spitting on breaking balls that he's not going to touch and sitting on something or adjusting after seeing it once instead of just watching the highlights and hearing from us or the guys at MLB network that the guy has, hasn't swung and missed in four months. Apparently Um, you, you appreciate it so much more when you see the full process. So watch more baseball. Absolutely. And and also, too, and if he goes into a slump and he strikes out 23 times in a row, we'll be able to sit back and say, hey, you remember when he didn't? You know, so, I mean, it's very important. You want to be part of what the rhythm is in baseball. All right, so that's the good. I mean, there was more good, but, you know, we did a, we did a three-hour um, Lord of the Rings trilogy last week. We're going to try and shorten the show for you guys just a little bit this week. So, let's uh, head on over to the bed this weekend in MLB. We don't like to see too much of the bad, but it happens. It's, it's not perfect. Nobody's perfect. The league isn't perfect. The dealings on the field aren't perfect, and dealings off the field aren't perfect. And I believe, Tab, you want to start in the Bronx, baby, and talk some Aaron Judge financials here on the Line Drive Radio today. Oh, show me the money. Jerry Maguire happened to poor Brian Cashman last week. Um, so I'm sure... Everybody who's listening to us has heard that Aaron Judge did not sign a long-term extension with the Yankees before opening day. Weather gave Brian Cashman an extra 24 hours to try and get it worked out. Didn't happen. Uh, It looks like they're going to get stuck going to arbitration with Aaron Judge this year, which is always a dirty process because in arbitration, for those who aren't familiar – a third party sits there and listens to a player talk about how great he is and then listens to the team talk about how mediocre the guy is because they're not agreeing on how much money the guy's worth. If they agree, they'd sign a deal and move on. Aaron Judge wants 3 or $4 million more than what the Yankees are offering, which is a pretty big gap. Uh, you know, This isn't the White Sox going to arbitration with Lucas Giolito over fifty grand. This is a big gap. And what was interesting is that Cashman took to the mic and was fully transparent with what the Yankees put on the table for Aaron Judge. Uh, And what Cashman told the media was that the Yankees have offered Aaron Judge uh, a $17 million deal this year, buying out that final arbitration season, and then beginning in 23, a seven-year $213.5 million extension. 
So all told, the package would have been about two thirty over eight, um, which is a lot of money. And I think Paul, you and I would both say thirty million dollars to play a kids' game. God bless. Okay. Where do I sign? I'm here for it. I might but, not make it to first base, but I'll give it a shot. I'll take the contract yeah. and give it a try, Tab. Yeah, you know what? I might need more Kevlar than anything to happy Gilmore <laughs> myself into a hit by pitch, but I'd try it. Um, but let's take a step back here and look at Aaron Judge's position because I, I, I'm i going to throw this on you pretty hard here because you're the Yankee fan in the room. But uh, Aaron Judge, if we focus on that seven years, like let's ignore the 17 because that's what the Yankees are fighting for in arbitration. Okay. And the third, it looks like the third party is going to tell Aaron Judge how much the Yankees are paying him this year. Um, which we'll see if it gets close to that 20 number. Right now, uh, if, if you look at that $30.5 million average annual value on the seven-year extension that they offered him, there are 14 players making more money than that in AAV in the 2022 season. We'll rattle them off. We won't bore you with the individual dollar amounts. Max Scherzer is getting $43.3 million this year from the Mets. That is the largest AAV in Major League Baseball. He's a pitcher. The largest AAV for a bat is number two on the list, Mike Trout, who's a shade over $37 million this year. But other guys who are making more than $30.5 million this year, and this is the market that Aaron Judge believes that he should be in. Uh, number three, Anthony Rendon. Four, Jacob deGrom. Five, Garrett Cole, his teammate, who's at $36 million. Uh, Trevor Bauer with the Dodgers, eh, whether or not he actually earns it and, and, and plays for them, we'll see. Carlos Correa with the Twins. Steven Strasburg with the with the Washington Nationals. Nolan Arenado, who signed the deal with the Rockies but has since been traded to St. Louis. Francisco Lindor with the Mets. So we've got three Mets already on the list. Corey Seager with the Texas Rangers. Still feels weird to say that. Miguel Cabrera in Detroit. Manny Machado in San Diego and David Price, who I think seven teams have touched that contract at this point, uh, um, with the Dodgers uh, at $32 million. So those are the 14 guys who are making north of $30.5 million this year. Uh, if you go back, uh, three of those 14 were signed this winter. Scherzer, Correa, and Seager signed their three deals this winter. Uh, Trevor Bauer and Francisco Lindor signed theirs last year, obviously, the big trade they moved Lindor from Cleveland to New York, and then he signed the blockbuster deal with uh, the Mets, uh, making him the largest uh, gross dollars contract ever for an infielder, though Rendon uh, and Correa have now. Uh, and Arenado all have a larger AAV. The gross dollars that Lindor got uh, are the most. And so you look at this. These are the names, Scherzer, Trout, Rend let's ignore the pitchers. So we'll just go with bats. Mike Trout, Anthony Rendon, Carlos Correa, Nolan Arenado, Francisco Lindor, Corey Seager, Miguel Cabrera. And again, Cabrera's at the end of a long-term deal during which he's been the face of the Tigers. So let's not act like this is new money for Miguel Cabrera. This is Miguel Cabrera got paid when he got a triple crown, and now it's coming to an end. Macha and Manny Machado. Uh, Paul, as a, as a Yankee fan, um, you know, we're talking, if he's talking about jumping into this stratosphere, 
And the Yankees are, are willing to give him $30 million a year, making him one of the 14 highest paid players in baseball. You are circling his name on the paper and effectively naming him this generation's Derek Jeter. For Yankees fans, this would put him, you know, if you go eight plus years from here, you know, you're talking about 14 years roughly in the pinstripes, assuming that he finishes the entire deal. Um, where do you put, as a Yankee fan, where do you put a guy like Aaron Judge on this list? Where do you put him on the hierarchy of superstars, not only in Major League Baseball as a whole, but as far as Yankees right now, and when you consider Cole's getting paid, Stanton's not going broke, um, where do you put Aaron Judge? as a Yankee fan, because I think at the end of the day, the product on the field has to be worth the money, but it's the Jersey. It's the 99 jerseys that sell that are going to justify judges position that he's worth more than this. Well, you know, prior to, you know, the, the season kicking off last weekend, you know, I'm raving about judge it, talking about him that way, like in a Derek Jeter type of way, as far as the face of the franchise and everything else. To be honest with you, I, I think the kid should have taken this money, this offer and run, uh, especially at 30 years old. You know, now you, when, you know, as a fan here, you start seeing the numbers and everything else. And then you start looking at, you know, Judge's history on this team. You know, his, uh, he's injury prone. Uh, he's at 20 at bats already to start the season. No home runs, no ribbies. He's got nothing. He's got zero, nothing. So, I mean, if he's... He better start shaping up for himself personally if he wants to get into this stratosphere of money. Um, at 30 years old, I want to ask you a real quick, Tab. I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, I mean, we don't want to cheap out here. Me and Tab just don't do these things. I'm not going to sit here and start Googling all these guys. But as far as Trout, uh, Rendon, Correa, uh, Arenado here, and Cabrera, and Seager, and Machado, as far as their age is concerned, do you, do you know where they are in terms of? Um, yeah, younger than 30. Okay, so that's that's the but, but 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 here's the thing, and and I think Rendon is is the the closest age comp as far as the bats go, uh, you know. But when you, again, when you look at this, Rendon, Cole, Bauer, uh, Lindor, uh, those four guys were part of the 2011 draft, um, and so and Rendon played at Rice. So he was a little bit older than Lindor, who came out of high school. Um, Cole and Bauer were somehow teammates at UCLA. So you had some college ages in there. But um, but I think when you start talking about comps here, um, you know, one of the thoughts that a lot of people had about Carlos Correa signing with Minnesota for north of $35 million per was that this is a guy who has missed games in a number of spots with the Astros during his career because of a number of issues. He, look, he's a big body shortstop. You know, Correa is a little bit taller than Lindor. And by a little bit, I mean, I'd, without looking up their heights, I guess he's about four inches taller than Lindor. Um, Machado was a tall shortstop who moved to third base, right? Seager, a decent-sized body shortstop, but Correa's a big dude, lots of long-moving levers. So... I think if you're Aaron Judge, you say, look, I realize that I've played in more than 112 games only twice in my career. 
But one of those two times was in 2021, and I put up. And when I was a rookie, I put up. So for me, it's about showing me that you can stay healthy. But for Judge, the counter is, well, Carlos Correa has the same question marks about him, and he got $35 million a year. Why shouldn't I? Which is a very valid question. Brian Cashman's counter slash my counter to that is, Carlos Correa signed a three-year deal at $35 million pop with an opt-out after each of the first two years. So Correa is only obligating the Twins to one year at 35.1. So the, the exposure for the Twins is not massive. It's a, it's a heavy lift. Let's not, you know, poo-poo a $35.1 million AAV. But their exposure is really, at most, a three-year relationship. So if he gets hurt in the first year... He probably opts back in. If he crushes it, he might opt out and think he can go get closer to that 36 that Rendon got from the Angels. So the exposure for the Twins was minimal. You're talking about a, a, ultimately an eight-year obligation for the Met or the yeah, Mets. Uh, Did you say? That, I, I, I slipped. <laughs> I was looking at Lindor's name on the paper here. I'm thinking Mets <laughs> because they gave him a shortstop 10 years, which is amazing. Good for him. Uh, but you're talking about an eight-year commitment uh, for a guy that has had some physical limitations on the field. And I think to Judge's point, the $30 million a year AAV, if he can stay healthy and play at an MVP level, worth it. You've got the, you, you know, you've got the all-rise brand in New York. It's there. You've got the Judge's quarters. You've got Sonia Sotomayor coming from the chief justice ship in Washington, <laughs> D.C. to sit with the people out there in their robes with their gavels ready to go. I think that there's enough mutually beneficial branding that $30 million a year isn't crazy. But I think when you start talking about a seven-year obligation after this season for the Yankees, that's where you start having some pause because of the injury issue, issues. And, you know, we talked about Miguel Cabrera. Not a lot of feet left on him. Pujols with the Angels and then the Dodgers, the legs were gone, right? And these are guys that didn't play a premium position like shortstop. Uh, and Aaron Judge is not a platinum glove winner or, you know, like Carlos Correa. He's a very good defensive right fielder, massively underrated, in my opinion, in right field. But you can't ignore the fact that he's six six, and there's going to be some wear and tear on him. And you're already paying so much money to Giancarlo Stanton right now that who has his limitations defensively. Um, you're giving Joey Gallo a pretty buck this year. He has his limitations offensively and defensively. If you want to roll out an outfield that could basically be the front court for the Knicks, that's great. But you need to have some level of assurance that these guys are going to be able to play every day for you if you're going to give him that kind of money and the term. And my personal opinion, I'm with you. If I if I was advising Aaron Judge, I would have taken the, the I maybe you push back a little bit on the 17 million this year and say, meet me at 20 in the first year, come up with three extra million dollars, and we're done. You get the eight year contract for let's call it 234. Done. Um, but now you're going to have a, a superstar player 
who's only ever been affiliated or associated with a single team going to arbitration where it is inevitable that feelings get hurt on both sides. And you ex- and Aaron Judge has said, I don't want to talk during the season. I want to, I want to focus on the, the game on the field. And to your point, if you're going to struggle on the field, you don't want this to be a headache that looms over you. Maybe it would have helped. Maybe, who knows? But I think if you walk away from $230 million, you're nuts. But that's because neither one of us is 6'6", playing right field for the Yankees every day. Um, but I would have taken it just because uh, when you look at how many of these deals have had questions about them already, Rendon was hurt a lot last year. Trout's been banged up. David Price, the whole one of the big reasons Mookie Betts is a Dodger is because they needed to get away from David Price's money. Um, Miguel Cabrera, the last few years, $32 million has been a tough pillow to swallow for the Tigers. Um, Steven Strasburg, $35 million a year. What's he doing right now? Watching, because he's coming back from an injury, right? $35 million a year for Trevor Bauer with the Dodgers. He's not hurt, but he's not contributing because they don't want anything to do with him, and we understand why. So there are lots of variables that go into a long-term relationship. And for me, if you're a guy that has had injury issues in the past, banking on staying healthy and banking on producing at a high level is a massive gamble. Uh, and we've seen other guys that have, you know, Michael Conforto turned down now, he didn't turn down 230, but he turned down reportedly north of $100 million from the Mets, and he still doesn't have a job. He's still a free agent. Uh, now there's draft pick compensation tied to him there, but I think both of us would agree it's hard to imagine Aaron Judge not being a Yankee. Uh, it was hard to imagine Nolan Arenado not being a Rocky. It was damn near impossible to imagine Carlos Correa not being an Astro. Uh, it was, you know, virtually impossible to imagine somebody trading for David Price's contract. <laughs> um, but you, there's there's so many variables that go into this that it's really hard to to figure that, you know, something doesn't get done somehow. But walking away from thirty point five is a pretty um, how do we put this on a family program? Uh, there's a lot of intestinal fortitude required uh, to walk away from 213.5 million over seven years. And uh, now it's up to Aaron Judge to play 150 games and put up MVP numbers so he can go back to Brian Cashman and say, all right, show me the bag. And if he does that, I don't think Cashman will have a problem shelling out. But the variable of having the awkward arbitration hearing if they get there uh, is just I can't imagine that Cashman's going to want to sit there and talk down the value of Aaron Judge in front of an arbitrator and then come back and try and make it up to him by paying him on a seven-year extension after that. So big-time big roll the dice here by Aaron Judge, um, and we'll see how it plays out. But it's going to be something that we're going to have to pay attention to all year because he's playing for it. He's playing for the bag right now. This season is make or break for Aaron Judge financially, and it's on him, who turns 30 on April 26th, it's on him to stay on the field and produce. And then we'll see where the money follows. But again, it's not like everybody's crying poor. Like we said, five of the 14 deals north of 30.5 have been signed in the last 14 months. So owners are more than happy to spend the money if they believe it's going to put butts in the seats and rings on fingers. 
So somebody might saddle up and be willing to go there with Aaron Judge because he's a big ticket item. But man, for a dude that's had injury problems, I I would not have walked away. I would have said, thank you, I'm cashing that check, and I'm going to be the face of the Yankees for eight more years. God bless. Yeah, well, I mean, no doubt about it. Hey, look, you know, for average guys uh, out there like us and everything else, look, Aaron Judge is going to get banked one way or the other, whether it's with the Yankees or whether it's somebody else next year. I think if this goes, uh, the I think the Yankees will win in arbitration, especially if he doesn't have a good season this year. Uh, the Yankees will win here. There's a couple of different factors here, whether it's pros and cons for Judge or for, uh, say, Cashman and the Yankees. Like I said, Aaron's going to get paid one way or the other, depending on how he produces this year, is going to be a big part of it. There's a couple of things here with the Yankees. Like we talked about it last week. This team, this train is going to the end of the tracks, and whatever happens this year, a lot of people that are on this train right now are probably not going to be a part of it. It's probably going to get blown up. Who knows? Maybe Aaron Judge might be waiting to see if Cashman loses his job before the end of the year if this season goes south. If Boone has a bad year, too. A lot of things could change here as, as, as far as yep. the season goes on. So there's a lot of um, there's a lot of pressure on this Yankee team. Now I love the lineup. I think these guys are going to be okay. You know he's got Boone's got 16 pitchers in the rotation right now. I don't think I don't care if he has 40 pitchers, as long as these guys produce. Uh, you know in this lineup, I think whatever it takes to win, it'll be fine. And Boone's not going to be the only guy uh, this year that's going to be running out a lot of pitchers. Couple things about Judge here um, with this roster. And the talent on this roster, if he doesn't start producing, he's going to get lost in this lineup. Because you look up and down this roster in terms of who's hitting before him and who's hitting behind him, um, he could be a non-factor if this guy doesn't start swinging the bat as far as value and everything else. Like I said, we're going to sit here and talk about whether he gets $250 million next year or $230 million. Whatever the heck he gets, he's going to make a lot of money. Um, but that's a big thing. And like I said, I think the, um, the Cashman factor here is, is maybe a part of it as well as, um, you know, maybe judging his agent in terms of how they're thinking. Because I think this year for, for this lineup, for this team, for this organization, this is it. Whether Ka- the team stays competitive, they stay within the division here, and they stay within the race, and they put Cashman in a situation here to maybe add some assets here, uh, you know, at the trading deadline, we'll see what happens. And the Yankees, one way or the other, are going to be fine because if Judge fades out of it here, and I know we talk about, I talked about him being the face of the team and everything else, that could that could fade away very quickly here in New York if he doesn't produce, if he's not part of this lineup producing and, and, and winning and everything else. So it's going to be on Judge. He's not starting out very well, and it's going to be on him as far as the rest of the season. But the Yankees as a team, as an organization, is going to play a lot of factors and like I said, I think I would have taken the money and run, but maybe the reason he did, maybe it's not so much that the deal was bad financially for Judge. Maybe he just wants to see how this season plays out. And if this team gets blown up at the end of the year, uh, if the front office gets blown up, you never know. And like I said, if, if they end up being a, a successful team this year and God forbid they win a championship, then Judge becomes a king and this team and this roster and Cashman and everything else. Uh, it just kind of turns over a new page. So it's an interesting topic. The money, where he is, his talents, his age, his statistics, everything's into play. But this Yankee team right now, the way it's built and how they do, I think has a big part of it as well. So it'll, it'll be interesting to watch. I think ultimately, in short, the Yankees will win this in arbitration, especially 
if Judge doesn't uh, have a good season here, and again, all the other things that I said here too, as far as this lineup, where this team goes and everything else, will play a big factor in it. And guys like Cashman and Boone, they've got some targets on their back as far as ownership and you know, that's going to be a big part of it, too. So maybe it's a it's a play safe here by Judge and, and his camp. And the Yankers are like, hey, we got the money. We could have paid you. If not, no big deal. And at the end of the next year, hey, look, you know, it, we'll be in a better situation if if Judge just, you know, tanks here. But um, it's yeah. a great topic to talk about. Great, interesting to uh, to see how this will play out. And, Tabin, is it just great to talk about all the money these guys are making playing small ball? Yeah. You know, it's, you know, it's a bunch of punch and judy hitters. I, I love Aaron Judge just grinding out singles. <laughs> He's going to need to. He better start connecting tonight, baby. Get it going tonight there, Judge. We'll see what happens. All right, good stuff. There's the good and the bad. And uh, to wound down this first show, the second show, I should say, it was the third show, actually, of LDR as we open up this new season. We're bringing back another uh, fun uh, segment of the show here, and that's Tab's fantasy ad of the week for all you fantasy baseball players out there. I'm not one of them because I I just don't know how. I'm having enough time just keeping track of what's going on day to day. And for you guys, you know, doing fantasy, man. Woo! But I know you're into this, brother. And I know you do it well. And I know you're here to help out the LDR fans who also are running their fantasy teams for MLB this week. So what do you got there, Teb? Who's our fantasy ad of the week on Line Drive Radio? So, Paul, when we talked in the pre-show fist fight, we talked about, you know, the easy the easy ad would have been Stephen Kwan, right? Because Kwan is hitting the cover off the ball, and he's only owned in 55% of leagues on the other. But I wanted to dig a little bit deeper than that. So, we're actually going to go to the beautiful state of Minnesota, the state of hockey. Uh, and the, uh, a young man, and I'm going to do my best to pronounce the name. I'll also spell it for those that are searching. Uh, Yuan Duran. It's called J-H-O-A-N-D-U-R-A-N. Yuan Duran. So if, if you paid attention, one of the trades that raised a lot of eyebrows was the Twins traded their closer to the Padres like right before opening day, like 6 o'clock in the morning. Like, can you be here tonight? And then, of course, the Padres' incumbent closer to be blows the lead and loses the game for the Padres' opening day. So it's like, Rogers, where are you? Um, but the Twins traded their, their closer on opening day. You're like, what the hell are they doing? Duran is the real deal. Right now he is a starting pitcher by definition, but he is going to be the closer in Minnesota. Uh, this is a dude that touches 102 easy. Um, you know, he's kind of in that Hunter Green. Uh, if you watched his debut with the Reds, man, that kid is special. Um, easy guess, great movement. Um, but this is going to be your closer to be in Minnesota. And right now he's only owned in 13% of Yahoo Fantasy Leagues. Uh, he needs a couple more appearances out of the bullpen to get that relief pitcher eligibility. Uh, but if you can get him and stash him for another week, uh, this is a guy that if you're in a league that scores based on whip and strikeouts and ERA, I think he's going to be a really nice ad for you. If you're looking for s- saves, I think you will start seeing them pile up for a Minnesota team that with the addition of Correa and Sonny Gray and what they've done to try and augment their roster, Gary Sanchez, um, 
they're going to need somebody to close games because they expect to win games this year. And I think Duran's going to be that guy. So Yuan Duran uh, of the Minnesota Twins, uh, your first line drive radio fantasy ad of the week for 2022. I love it. I love it. I love the name. I love the baseball names. And I love the, uh, the, uh, the different take here. Uh, the surprising stuff. That's why you LDL fans, you got to tune in every week because you never know the gem that Tab is going to find to just, you know, make you stand out and win you some big money here at the end of the year here, uh, uh, this uh, fantasy MLB season, man. So uh, good stuff there. All right, pal, look at that. It's in the books. Good, the bad, headlines. Lots of money talk this week, batters. And now, you know, a couple, we maybe tab next week. We, we uh, maybe turn and look at the mound here and see uh, how some of these guys are settling in and uh, look at some of the big money pitchers and their starts uh, this season as well, too. But, man, so much to look forward to. It's underway. So, before we turn off the lights and the concession stands and lock the gates and turn the sprinklers on on the field, tab, bid our good friends adieu. Everybody, I... We've gotten to the point that your uh, Little League schedules are starting to be published and there are major league games on almost all day, every day. Uh, so grab a glove, grab a ball, go out, throw with the kid in your life or an adult if that's what you're into. Uh, but watch the games. And again, as we always say, minor league baseball has started. So if the major league ballpark isn't your jam, go find a minor league game, uh, watch the game and enjoy playing it. Sounds good. Take his advice, folks. Get out there. Hopefully the weather's turning nice by you guys, wherever you are. But it's baseball season. Me and Tab are here for it in LDR. Follow us everywhere at Line Drive Radio. Play ball, baby. Enjoy the week. Ow. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.